I'm Liz Toombs, owner of PDR Interiors and your host for Sorority Chat, the podcast where we talk all things Greek housing, decorating, and beyond. Today's guest is a friend of mine that I've gotten to know through the Greek industry over the past few years. He's always a delight to talk to, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing what he has to say. It is Jack Dawson, and he's the president of College Fresh, and they are a food service provider for uh, Greek housing. And Jack is really going to break down some helpful information. So we'll talk about things like the difference between a private chef versus a food service provider. And um, I also like hearing people's origin stories, I'll call it. I like hearing how someone got started in the business, how the business got started. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think that will be um, something heartwarming and of interest for you to hear as well. So without further ado, let's jump in and learn um, more from Jack about the role that food service plays in the Greek experience. Hello, Jack Dawson. How are you? Great, Liz. How are you? I am doing well. I am very excited to have you here with us today on Sorority Chat. Um, For all of our listeners, Jack Dawson is the president of College Fresh, which is a food service company that services the um, Greek organizations on college campuses. Is that a fair description, Jack? That's very fair. Yes. Nicely done. Uh, So in your own words, tell us more about what it is that College Fresh does. Okay. So I like to describe us as a fresh, from scratch, when possible, service provider for fraternities and sororities across the country. Um, We started, is is now, or you want me to kind of go into the whole intro or? I think, yeah. Tell everybody the whole background, how how it came about. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we started historically a long time ago um it all boils down to my dad john uh he was a chef slash nature d at a quote-unquote fine dining restaurant in champaign illinois back in the mid 80s and there was a woman there who owned a private residence hall on campus at the university of illinois and she was having a hard time getting students to come live in their residence hall it wasn't a premium location uh it had kind of a niche there on the engineering um, side of campus and she had thought that maybe if we have a really great dining experience, maybe this could change and maybe there'll be more students that want to live here. Well, her and dad had been talking for a number of years. I think at the time, my dad had, had my older sister, Annie, uh, who's now one of the owners of the company with us. And he was looking to get out of that restaurant grind that everyone at food service is so familiar with. So I took a leap of faith and started this. And pretty quickly realized opportunities with some former clients and regulars at the restaurant that were involved in fraternity and sorority life at University of Illinois, and then had those opportunities started to pop up. Um, fast forward 30 years later uh, in the early 2010s, and Hendrick House was serving 32 of the, I think, 64 fraternities and sororities on campus. We were also serving at five private residence halls, you know, had an organic herb garden on the roof, an organic farm that one of our chefs was managing. Uh, and it was, it was a really cool experience. We saw some of who are now our national competitors kind of across the country coming on the campus at University of Illinois. We really thought, well, we know what we do and we think we've got an edge here in terms of services provided and thought it'd be a great opportunity. Um, 
We, in doing so, we were very fortunate to kind of play off of some relationships we had built in the industry and early on really made some great partners at the organizational level that trusted us and asked if we could help at Penn State, Santa Barbara, Michigan, you know, so we just have grown very organically um, and have stayed true to that and tried to stay focused on that, taking care of our partners as our growth strategy. Uh, and it's it's worked really well for us now over the last 10 years of College Rest. So that's kind of our background, who we are. You know, we food service is a hard business. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of people out there know that. Uh, we would never expect to be perfect. We would never claim to be with our partners. We just say that we're going to try our best. All we want to do is provide a quality experience for the sorority and fraternity members we're partnering with. We feel like if we stay true to that, then we'll continue to have success in our business. Yeah. I could ramble on forever, but that's a, that's my intro there. For well, you. I think that's very good. That was a nice <laughs> wrapped up uh, with a bow explanation of how you guys came to be. Um, I know that there's a lot of competition in the food service world. And so I think it says a lot about, you know, those companies that are out there, you guys included, that you've got the business, the, the continuity to to still hold on because it is, it's a tough industry to stick around in. Yeah, it's very competitive. Um, and, and going back, I think even to when, right around when we started, if you look at this, what we do, what our competitors do, there's not a lot of barriers to entry, right? We operate out of these students' homes where the kitchens are there. It's a, it's a property, it's property of the chapter, it's something they own and it's a, it's a great investment we believe in. Uh, but we're not putting a ton of money up front for these kitchens, right? Uh, so really anyone can post their sign on the door and say, hey, we're now a, a Greek food service provider. I think over the years, the offerings that College Rush and our competitors have put together would make it kind of challenging for someone to be able to come in right off the bat and just say, here's what we can do, because there are a lot more um, kind of behind the scenes investments and, and structure and people and everything else going on. Um, so, but you know, early on, it's, it's any, really easy for anybody to, like I said, put the sign up on the door and said, hey, we're a food service provider now. But it's having that track record and that sustainability across the country, I think, has become a bigger challenge. Yeah. So was it always in the plan for you to come into this company and to work in this industry? Or was that something that just kind of changed your course? Gosh, a little. I think it, it, it was definitely not always in the plan. You know, um, mom and dad, you know, I mentioned dad starting the business, but mom, is really the one who legitimized it and took it to where it was. She was the, I like, we joke internally, she was the grand poobah, you know. Um, dad was all service side of things, but mom came in and legitimized it, made sure that payroll, taxes, and employee benefits, and all the things that you need to really run the good business that everybody wants to run. She put that in place there for the food service operation. Uh, and when we started College Fresh, she had such a good thing going. She was still working at Hendrick House and running out the way that she did for a number of years. And we couldn't afford her when we first started. So this was very much similar to the way that was started. Uh, and same thing with my sister. You know, her background is in human resources. So it was, there was never like this grand plan that Annie was going to go be a human resources professional and then come to us and that I would have a background in sales and customer service and that that would, that all just kind of happened, you know, uh, dad and his partner, Russ started college fresh and it was fortunate for me that around that time I got in a very serious relationship with my now wife, 
Um, and she got into her doctorate in physical therapy program up near Chicago. She's from Chicago. And at the time I, I told Hendrick us and my mom and boss like, Hey, I, this has all been great, but I'm, I'm leaving. Uh, and I was taking interviews. I, I don't know how many 25 interviews I did in Chicago, um, before dad and his partner Russ at the time started to think that maybe they needed someone younger could connect with the students a little bit, travel a lot. Um, so, you know, I took the interview. I didn't know if dad's partner would even want to have anything to do with their being a family dynamic or not, but what they offered me was pretty appealing at the time. So I came in as a lowly, you know, I don't, I shouldn't say that I came in as just kind of a, you know, Mr. Everything. I was, I was going to travel around. I was going to visit with students. I was going to make sure they were having a great experience. And I don't, at the time we had 12 partners that we were serving, I think. And just really had no expectations at all. Just thought it sounded like a cool and fun and challenging opportunity. Um, and then as we grew in more and more, we got to the point where we had, I think, 200 employees. And my sister, who a, was a high up human resources professional, said, you don't have an HR key? And it was like, uh, no, are we supposed to? <laughs> you know, so we kind of learned as we go. Um, and she's now she's really taken over what mom did for Hendrick House all those years ago, just legitimizing us, making sure we are the company we want to be from a core value standpoint, from an internal standpoint, where I then focus on making sure we're the company we want to be from an external standpoint, the experience that our partners have. Uh, my brother, who is a professional uh, IT person at the University of Illinois, he helps facilitate the build out of our app and our website and other stuff. So we're all involved now in our own area of expertise, and we've filled in all the rest of the spots with other leaders in the industry. Well, it sounds like you all were very well versed to be able to come together then and create this company, even if it wasn't the master plan. Yeah, a uh, lot of work, a lot of luck. You know, that old saying, uh, I forget how it goes, but, you know, fortune favors those that are prepared or something along those lines. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I kind of giggled when you said, you know, Annie was like, you don't have an HR department. It was like, no, because when you start a business, it's just you do whatever needs to be done at that moment. And it's a little bit more reactive. And then at some point you hit the point that you think, okay. I really do need to get these things in place. And then, like you said, you're having to look at like the external versus the internal, and then you're starting to create a, a brand and more of a culture that way. But um, oh, yeah. you don't always think about it on the front end. No, I, I know you do a lot of entrepreneurial, like entrepreneurial awareness and, and speaking. Uh, and there's another saying in entrepreneurship, it's that like perfection can be the enemy of progress, right? If you're always just worried about having every last thing there, Sometimes you just got to go and do it. And you just, as long as you're learning and you don't let those mistakes repeat, I think it's kind of something we try to steer towards. Yeah, absolutely. If you wait till you're fully prepared, you're never going to actually do anything or, yep. or take that step forward. Um, okay. So when you think about, you know, cause in my business, we do the sorority houses, but we also do residential homes as well. And in residences, kitchens are the hub of the house. Food is kind of what everything revolves around. And so would you say that that is true in the Greek environment as well? Yes, 100%. Um, we, we don't think it is a coincidence that the strongest chapters out there are those that have really strong deal plans. Um, we, we've talked a lot about over the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic, is what are ways that we can ensure the members that are, you know, have come through the house, but are now no longer living in, how do we keep them engaged? And again, obviously we're a little biased, but we think having a quality meal program 
whether or not it's regular meals or just like study snacks or special events, philanthropic events, homecoming events, having that quality meal service, we think is a huge part of keeping the chapter engaged and then keeping that uh, chapter house as a focal point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, when you walk into houses, where are most of the students congregating is what I would ask you, Liz. I mean, it's, it seems to always be that beautiful dining room behind you uh, is where those students are coming together. Yep. They're in there getting their snacks and they're studying and it's a place that they can spread out. You were right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely an important part of the house. How are you guys, um, I guess, dealing with, or what are you seeing in the food service industry when it comes to these food allergies or these preferences? Cause if you have sure. 50 women living in or 200 chapter members coming through, how do you address this and how are you able to service those students? Yeah, it's, it's like so many other things out there these days. People are just more educated. There's more data. There's more information. There's more, you know, these students that are coming up have more access to more and better health care. Uh, you know, our, our parents' generation, it just wasn't something that was talked about. There's more awareness, I would say, is another thing. I was just talking with a partner literally earlier today where one of the campuses students with dietary restrictions are being sent to the, the department of, I forget the name of the department, but they're basically being treated as like an ADA uh, environment, right? Where we've got to make special um, adjustments for those circumstances for those students to make sure that they do feel like they have access um, to all of this. So it's, I think it's a great thing, but it, it's to answer your question, uh, the need is growing because students are more aware of, of what they're eating and what they need. Um, the first thing I always say when I have a student or a parent that asks us about this is there's no easy button. You know, there's, there's no one plan or no one thing we can do that's going to guarantee your student's safety. Um, but it starts with communication. Um, it starts with us just knowing what your student needs or what you as the student need. Yeah. There have been so many unfortunate times where you know, I'll have had a conversation a couple of weeks in with a new chapter partner and, They'll say, oh, things are great, but we've got this student who's got the dairy, they're dairy free and they just, they haven't had what they're looking for. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Liz, but I don't even have that on the notes as a, as a dietary restriction we have. And because the student hadn't advocated for themselves. So I think one of the things we really try to do is know that sometimes there are people that are uncomfortable doing that. Uh, my sister, I've talked about a couple of times, uh, she won't mind me saying that she's got celiac disease and she's talked about, you know, she didn't, she wasn't diagnosed until she was much older. People in those situations can sometimes feel like a burden. So I think that's on us and on our competitors as food service providers to make sure that people coming into this environment do feel comfortable and do feel like they have an outlet and a place to say it and to say it comfortably that, hey, I have these specific needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go on forever about this, but the main thing is we've got to know what it is because if we know what it is, there are accommodations that can be made for just about every single dietary restriction there is out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as the the people that we're hiring and the chefs that we're working share our core values and commitment to doing that, that's the, I think the crux of the matter is that you've got someone who's committed to doing that because it can be some extra work uh, to provide those services for uh, any given chapter. Um, you just got to have people that are willing to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's great. You're so right that you have to advocate for yourself. You have to talk about it. Um, I yeah. always appreciate your all's booths at events because yeah. they make sure that there are gluten-free snacks and I yeah. eat gluten-free. And so I always know I can come over there and just get some kind of fun little nibble in the, you know, the afternoon slump. Um, but I think too, 
what's important for people to hear about this part of things is typically by the time that they know that they have a dietary restriction and then they're coming to you and having to share that it has been a whole rigmarole, like to get to the point of understanding what's going on with their body, what's going on with their health, what they need to eliminate and you know, what they have to avoid. And so I think that's kind of the, the background of what's going on. And so sometimes it's like, Oh my gosh, now I have to walk in here explain to the chef, I can't eat this. Like, I don't want them just to think I'm being, you know, a brat about it or have something going on. And so it's a legitimate thing. And, um, I do think students are doing better though, about advocating for themselves and just making it clear what it is that they need to have. Oh, absolutely. And if for anybody out there that's listening, uh, I would just tell them that we count on that and really do want to do well in that regard. So yeah, absolutely. Always speak up for yourself. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. that, That makes our job easier and that makes us you know, there, there's, a, there's an analogy for it, but we're only as good as every last person thinks we are on that meal plan, right? So if we've got 98 members that are thrilled, but then one who's a celiac and one who's a vegetarian that aren't feeling like they've got all the options they need to have a successful program, then I think we failed the chapter. We want to make sure that everyone has that same experience. So if you're listening out there, absolutely speak up and, and be an advocate for yourself. Yeah. So question Because when I was in um, my sorority house, I'm an Alpha Gamma Delta from the University of Kentucky uh, from, I will not disclose the year I graduated, but when I was in school, we had a chef in our house and it was just, that person was hired for our house. They just worked specifically for us as an employee. So let's talk about kind of the benefits of having a company like College Fresh versus having one single employee that, you know, you hire this private chef directly. Kind of talk about the differences there. That's a great question. I always like to answer that question by starting with the benefits of having it the way you just described it, right? Mm -hmm. When you got this chef who was an employee of the chapter, you know, I, I know once at the University of Illinois, because that's where I went to school, but where chefs lived at the house and worked seven days a week when they were there during the school year, but then they just had the summers off, right? And there's this familiarity, you're a part of the chapter, you're a part of the family. And that's kind of, that's something that's really hard to replace when you've got that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. So what we don't want to change is the familiarity, the comfortableness, the, you know, coming in to see hey, Chef Liz is still here 10 years later, you know, that type of relationship, that bond, where the chef is a very integral part of the chapter on a day-to-day basis, we want to keep that. We want the chapter to be able to speak to the chef. All all of our chefs write menus for every house that they serve specifically. So we're not writing a menu for everyone at University of Kentucky that we serve or everyone at the University of Illinois. Mm -hmm. The same as your chef was doing for you, Liz, I won't say in what year, (laughs) Uh, they were talking to you all and they were learning what you wanted to see. And they were writing those menus based on that. And they knew, Hey, Liz is going to be gluten-free this semester. So we got to make sure we have options for her where we come in and where, what I'm selling to any operation that I'm speaking with is we want to take away all the pain points from your food service operation. This year is a really good example, rising costs at every single level from the cost to keep and maintain really good staff benefits. Um, actually, benefits should be a separate, separate conversation. So I'll get to that. Okay. But food costs, um, you know, food costs went up from year to year. Uh, the CPI in February was 7.9%. So from February 21 to 22, cost of food operations went up 7.9%. If you're managing it on your own, 
you as the chapter are going to have to absorb that 7.9%. We didn't increase any of our pricing for any of our partners this year. Um, so things like that, it's a fixed cost when you come with someone like us. Uh, and maybe one of the other big things from a local house corporation standpoint is liability, workman's comp, that kind of stuff. Someone slips, breaks their ankle on site, that's going to be a responsibility of the chapter. When you're working with us, that's something that the company takes care of. Mm. Um, I touched that's on benefits. That's kind of a so hidden real. thing. I don't think anybody would really think about until you got yeah. a little harder down the line. And, you know, God forbid, you, you hope it really doesn't ever happen. But for a smaller corporation that's running on razor thin margins, Someone does something serious like that, that could be a major, that could be litigation, it could be a settlement. I mean, that could be serious money we're talking about. Um, so that we really handle all of that when it comes to the kitchen, dining room, like the the back alleyway, you know, where the chef's bar can take out garbage, that's all covered in our end. So um, that could be a significant thing that maybe a lot of groups aren't thinking about. But I, we saw a big uptick coming into fall 20 when COVID hit with a lot of organizations that were like your chapter was that just said with all of the COVID restrictions and everything else, we don't know what is coming. We can't handle this. And understandably so said, Hey, can we talk to you all the professionals to see, I think we're going to continue to see that with the way costs are increasing and just finding staffing. I think is really difficult right now Mm -hmm. Uh, for us. It's a challenge and it's what we do. So imagine being a local volunteer who's working, a full-time job has kids. It's got all this other going on. Now they got to spend 20 hours a week trying to find an employee. And like you said, in the meantime, they're ordering little Caesars and whatever else you could get by. If you work with a group like us, we're taking care of those, those headaches for you. Yeah. Well, that was helpful. It's just, it's nice to kind of understand how that world works a little bit more. Yeah, um, there's a lot that comes into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned trying to hit on and fix those pain points that the chapters have. So I, it made me think of something when it comes sure. to kitchen setup or servery setup, what are some of your pain points that you hear from chefs? Like what works well in a kitchen setup and what doesn't? Because I think listeners could be on house core boards or national housing corporations. And this is something they need to understand about the best way to set up their kitchens if they can, if they can control that. Sure. Okay. Oh, great question, Liz. And you're kind of putting me on the spot there. Um, from the serving area standpoint, I know obviously when you're involved, it's not an issue, but if, <laughs> if you don't have someone that knows what they're doing, flow of service mm-hmm. can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a really cool one the other day. It was a little different, but where this salad bar was kind of tucked in, it was like a built-in salad bar. And then the hotline was over around the corner. So there was good flow. There was plenty of room. There was plenty of space for the dish uh, deposits. But then the drink section, like utensils and other stuff, was it, it, granted this was a big house and it had plenty of space. But there was no issue then. Hey, if someone wanted to just go get a salad mm. or skip the salad bar and go and get to the hot the hot service food, you don't have to wait in one line to get to any three of those. So I think flow is one area or one area of like frustration or concern. Um, from the serving standpoint, from the kitchen standpoint, there's so many different ways I could go with this. Uh, I think it's frustrating for chefs when you come into a kitchen and there's a bunch of stuff you don't need, mm-hmm. and maybe you're missing some of the things you do need. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone out there is, you know, building a house, working on a house, I'd say most of us food service providers will give you free consultations, so don't hesitate to reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, also, talk to people like Liz because they'll give you good advice too. But 
Um, I think some examples, I always like to use an example of this salamander, um, which is essentially like a broiler. It's used for like finishing tops of soups and toasting and keeping steaks hot and everything else. And I'm probably describing it wrong, but in, a, in like a steakhouse, it's a great piece of equipment uh-huh. and it probably costs $6,000, something along those lines. Right. But you just, there's no real applicable use in a sorority house kitchen. And mm-hmm. uh, we started with a new partner that had one of those. And if they had just talked to really any chef could have probably said, that's something you don't need to spend. And gosh, we'd certainly love to have an extra reach in cooler instead. Um, so there, maybe there's a pain point. For some of our operations, our chefs, maybe the biggest concern I hear from chefs is there's just not enough storage. Mm. Um, we we don't need as much dry storage. We don't, I mean, it's it's always great to have, but the one thing we feel like we're short on in some situations, I think maybe smaller groups especially, is cooler storage. Um, we use a joke all the time, we're college fresh, not frozen, not college <laughs> canned. So we want to be able to keep things fresh in the refrigerators and if you're trying to feed a chapter of even 40 members and you've only got one reach in cooler, that could be a real challenge to operate. And it forces your chef to go drive every single day to go to the store um, or like to the point where we can't even get any orders enough from our food purveyors to meet that. So I would say keeping cooler storage in mind is a, is a great thing that people should be thinking about. That's a big thing. Yeah, that's helpful. And I am honest enough to know when I'm out of my depth and the commercial <laughs> kitchens are out of my depth, but you said <laughs> okay. something that rang a bell. And so every time I've done a new build or a major renovation project and the kitchen is involved, the um, food service partner always comes in, just like you said, yep. and consults with the client and says, here's what we use. Here's what we don't. Cause there's always a kitchen equipment company involved. And so to your point, when you know what you're doing, which if the you know equipment person is versed yeah. in the Greek community, they know exactly how to come in and to help them. But if it is somebody who is outside of that realm, who's maybe used to the restaurant world, like you mentioned, there could be some equipment that is being pitched that doesn't make sense to have. And you're not kidding about the prices. I mean, they are really hefty costs for this equipment to then just sit yeah. there unused. Yeah. And yeah, there, there's also um, different uh, brands that we've maybe we've seen break a lot. They're not as reliable as others. And, you know, a, a true refrigerator, which is a pretty good unit, it might be a little bit more expensive than others, but it's going to be a lot better value to the chapter long term. Yep. Those are other little points we can give advice on too. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. And I'm so glad you said that about flow. The serveries are a little bit more where I get excited because uh-huh. anytime yeah. there's efficiency and an effective use of space, that's like when I turn into the total nerd and the flow is the biggest request that we, we get from people. And so if it's a new construction house, that is fixable, or if it's being renovated, but sometimes when we come in and it's, what can we do to the space? We don't really have the budget to renovate it. It's tight. The chapter's getting big. We have to get creative when it comes to flow and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, sometimes you just have to think outside the box a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Flow, same thing again with the dining room picture behind you. If the chapter ever does any formal or family style services, that's another thing to think about. It can be a pain point from, the hasher house boy house gent perspective in terms of getting out there and getting the food to the members in a timely manner Mm -hmm. i just thinking about the layout in that regard but not much else in terms of the 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 dining area for us we we're mostly just there to help clean and keep that area sanitary 
Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I, it's amazing to me the number of chapters that move their dining room furniture around and the like clunkiness of the furniture. I mean, I could talk for days about that. We won't get into yeah. it. Um, there's just every space in those houses are multifunctional. And so there's just there's some special needs that have to be considered when you're when you're putting stuff in there. So yeah. So just a fun question. What is yeah. the largest chapter size that you serve for a meal? Oh gosh. Well, I think the largest overall chapter size, we have to give the award to our friends in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Mm-hmm. But maybe the single largest meals we do are those fabulous chicken finger Fridays in Arkansas, where you've got, you know, 300 to 400 in the chapter, but then you've got the guests that they bring and we're doing homemade fried chicken fingers for seven to 800 people. Oh my uh, gosh. I think, yeah. I think those are probably the biggest kind of regular meals that we're doing out there. Um I guess then you could count the, the Tuscaloosa tailgates. We're serving anywhere from a thousand to twelve hundred people on some of those too. Um, but the you know the, the larger SEC schools, um, some of the ACC that are in the southeast, those are those big ones when you're talking like the biggest numbers. And it's it's a thing to see uh, if any if you're familiar with Greek life or food service in general. It's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, yeah. Now I forgot to ask you: Are you Greek? Yeah. No, Liz, I went to community college for two years at Parkland College in Champaign Uh and then transferred over to the University of Illinois. uh, And it just was never something that was on my radar. Now, because I I worked there my whole life, you know, in high school, I was a dishwasher in college. I was a hasher. Uh, Even maybe a little after college, I was doing deliveries and filling in before I took the job as Greek life manager there. But no, I wasn't Greek. Yeah, it's just one so, of those things. As many times as you and I, you and I have talked, like we never talked yeah. about that. And I just thought, oh, I don't remember yeah. the answer, so I wanted to. Yeah, no, it's funny. But now my whole life is Greek life, and I've talked to some groups too about you know pitching in as an advisor role, um, or or being uh, you know brought in at different levels of support. It's just not something that's ever really come into it, but hope yeah. to someday for sure. Yeah, well, they'd be lucky to have you as an advisor. You bring a lot <laughs> of good, good, good knowledge. Yeah. I think. My wife will jokingly say, maybe not when we have a three and a half and a one and a half year old at home. Maybe let's wait to add, uh, you know, get some time there before we add something else to my plate. But yeah, Yeah. someday. I think that that's fair. You can have a little bit more time (laughs) to jump into that. Uh (laughs) Well, do you have any final thoughts that you want to make sure that you leave people with? Any just tips or or advice that you would have regarding food service? Gosh, I'm not sure if I, you know, I'd just, I'd say thanks for having me. Um, if anyone ever has any questions, we're always happy to help. Even if we're not partnering with you, if, if we can help a food service uh, operation in any chapter across the country we're there for, I would say um, when you're looking at options for food service, make sure you uh, do your due diligence. Make sure you're, you're forming educated decisions because there's a lot of things uh, most of our competitors out there, we really respect and we think are doing great jobs, but there's a lot of things that can be done where it's, you know, it looks like this, but then when you actually get into the arrangement, there's some other stuff going in, um, and some hidden costs and some other stuff. So just do your due diligence, talk to other groups that these food service providers have worked to. I, I think what other students and other chapters that have used the food service option, what they'll say is going to mean a heck of a lot more than anything anybody with that that group would say if that makes sense. So um, we all are here for the same reason. We want the students to have an awesome experience. We want them to learn and develop and to go into the world and be leaders. And if we're just one small part of that, 
um, and, and that drives our growth and we're, we're really thrilled. So no real advice. That's just my kind of little pitch there at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us and for my sharing pleasure. all of your knowledge. It was great to talk yeah. with you. Thanks, Liz. What did you think of the episode with Jack? He is so kind and humble. And I think that really comes across in his presentation and in his conversations related to their food industry. And like I said, I love hearing someone's origin story. So it was really fun to kind of hear about his dad and how the company got started. And then now how all of the children are involved. And I find that really fascinating given that nobody actually set out to get into the food service industry as far as the kids. They all have these different skill sets and these different um, majors that they they went for in college. And then now it's come full circle and they're able to come back to the family business and bring those skills um, and, and manage different portions of the company. So I think that's super cool. And I just liked hearing about about the food service industry and just, you know, in a residence, the kitchen is the hub of the home for sure. And it's really no different in our chapter houses. And so it is a very important role that food plays in the chapter experience. And I appreciate all that College Fresh is doing to enhance that, as well as the other great food vendors that are out there. There's a number of them. And um, I think they're, they're doing a great job trying to keep our chapter members fed healthy and happy. Thanks for listening, friends.